For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Melanie Diesel, and we're going to explore the concept of creating content. And I think you're going to love it. We talk about so many different ways that you can create content on social media, off of social media. So if you've been struggling figuring out your content strategy, you are going to probably want to take notes in this particular podcast episode. By the way, if you want to reach me, I am Stelzner on Instagram or email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. Now for this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip. This week I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found a really cool tool for all of us whose preferred content consumption method is audio instead of text. Tell me it more. Is called, it is called Speechify. So what it does is it allows you to take text from the web, from your phone, and even, get this, through OCR, you can point your phone with the app at a book or some text out in the world, and it will OCR it, optical character recognition, for those of you that don't know. It will translate that into text on your phone, and then you can click play, and it will read it there also. Tell me this about is, the application of this. Yeah, so... The application of this is really, and and I'll start with this. This was created by somebody who uh, was struggling in school because in college because they were dyslexic, and so for them, reading text wasn't always the easiest thing. But consuming through audio all the different textbooks they needed to do for school, this was easier, more accurate above all else, faster because they could zoom the uh, speed up on the speech that's reading it out loud to them so they could get through the content faster even. Well, and I could also see applications of this, like there's a big article published by your favorite publication and you don't have the patience to sit and read it, but maybe you want to listen to it while you're wandering around your office getting some exercise or something, right? Exactly, exactly. You've got a big enough office. I could see you doing that. You'd open <laughs> up an article, select the text, or upload the PDF or the, the website itself into the system of Speechify and hit click play, and you could walk around your office and get some steps in. How good is the audio quality? It's quite good. I went through a couple of the different um, voices that they have as as options there, and I got to tell you, I sped it up a little bit, and I honestly forgot that I was listening to an AI reading me something versus a person. Okay. Now, is this a desktop or a mobile thing or both, or how does that work? So it's it's both. So what it is, is it is a, it is a Mac app on the desktop that you can download for free, and it is a web app, or sorry, not a web app, an iOS app that you can download, and they sync files across to each other, and um, you can cross-send them to each other. Like if I am on my desktop and I want to go take a walk, I can select an article and it'll send it to my phone and then my phone will have it to start going and walking. Vice versa, I can also take a picture of something, like I said, with the OCR on my phone and then send that to my desktop and then listen to it there. Fascinating. So uh, what's this thing cost? This is free. <laughs> does it do in other languages too or is it just english do you know 
They say that, that it does other languages. I actually didn't get to the part where I tried that out, but I could see this really helping out. I mean, it, it's got other language um, selections there. It didn't It didn't seem to have like translation tools, but it seemed to you know, have the dialects and things listed as an option. So. I could see this really powerful for people trying to learn English too, right? From another country. Oh. They could just scan it and read it and then they could say, oh, that's how you say that word, right? <laughs> yes, and uh, to that point, Every single word, as it is read out loud, is actually highlighted in and of itself um, and shown on the screen. So, yeah, if you were learning English, you would see the word um, presented as well as it's, uh, you know, as it's read out loud. So, they must have yeah. some sort of upgrade path, don't they, to more advanced services, or is the thing just totally free? It's free for now. There's a Speechify light, and uh, there's there's got to be some more, uh, you know, coming down the line from them. But I'm thoroughly impressed by what they've done so far. Where do we find this thing? It's easy to find. All you need to do is go to getspeechify.com, and I'll spell that. It's get g e t speechify s p e e c h i f y dot com. Well, I can tell everyone that I found out as an adult that I am dyslexic. I have a pretty high-functioning dyslexia, but I prefer to learn by by listening rather than reading, despite the fact that I'm a writer <laughs> who owns a pretty big publication that writes content. Um, so I, I could see something like this being really, really useful. Eric, thank you so much for bringing us that find. You're welcome. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. And now for this week's interview with Melanie Diesel. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today I'm excited to be joined by Melanie Diesel. If you don't know who Melanie is, she is a former journalist, an expert in storytelling, and founder of Story Fuel, a company that helps marketers become better storytellers. Melanie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So today, Melanie and I are going to talk about how to create content that can draw prospects and customers to you. And really, we're just going to go deep into content. I'm excited about this. Um, Melanie, I would love to hear your backstory. How the heck did you get into content and content marketing? Start wherever you want to start. Yeah, you know, I I ended up in content marketing very much by accident, which I'm I'm the first to readily admit. Um, I studied journalism, like you said. I always thought I would end up in a newsroom, you know, at a newspaper. Uh, my dream job, if you would have asked me when I, I was graduating college, I studied investigative reporting and arts and cultural criticism. So I wanted to be doing like the hard hitting stuff, uncovering injustice and, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, but I, you know, found very quickly that the first two teams that get cut in a newsroom when they're downsizing in the digital age is the arts teams and mm. then the investigative teams. Those are the two that, that lose budget right away. So I had all these deep storytelling skills, these ability to interview, to find stories, and I needed to find some other way to employ myself and feed myself, you know, as you do. So I ended up working with a recruiter who very wisely said, we've got this role in our, uh, you know, brand storytelling team uh, over at the Huffington Post. And, you know, I know it's not quite what you wanted to do, but I think it's suited to your skills. And what that job turned out to be was what became HuffPost Partner Studio, the team at the Huffington Post that does all did all the brand content for brands that lived on the Huffington Post. So for example, that's a blog post that was written, ghostwritten, or otherwise co-created with Goldman Sachs, for example, living inside of HuffPost business. Uh, or, you know, recipes featuring uh, Betty Crocker products living in HuffPost food, for example. So that was my team. You know, I kind of got brought in early days. We built up that team. Um, and I had been there for about a year doing really fun stuff, listicles and blog posts and recipes and slideshows and really light fare when the New York Times announced that they too wanted to get into this brand content game. They were starting a team and they needed people with a journalism background. So for me, this was sort of, uh, this was sort of like the, uh, the, the golden opportunity. You know, I wanted to get closer to journalism again. I wanted to be creating Times quality content. And, you know, as, a, as someone who studied journalism, the New York Times is always sort of the ideal, right? That's where you want to end up. That's that's the big one. Um, so it was an awesome opportunity for me to go over there and start 
you know, I was the first editor of brand content. What year was this, this approximately? This was, so this was around very early 2014 that okay. I made the transition over to the Times. Cool. So keep going. So you were doing native content for them, I think is what we called it, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So we were doing native content. So at the New York Times, obviously, that's very different than you know the content you expect from the Huffington Post. So when I got there, it was my job as the first editor of brand content to figure out what do we do with brands? Where do we draw those lines? You know, What is allowed from a brand content perspective? And so we sort of took a look at what worked for our audience on the editorial side. What did they expect from us? What did they like? And we adapted that to create a set of content products that we would offer to brands that you know, would live up to our audience's expectations. So things that were heavily reported and things that used multimedia, things that had multiple sources, kind of creating our own guidelines as to what New York Times quality brand content should be. So that was a definitely a different type of storytelling to what I was doing at HuffPost. Um, after about a year, that team went from when I first got there, there were five of us. And by the time I left a year later, there were over 40. So wow. the growth on that team was, you know, insane. Um, and I was brought over to Time Incorporated. At the time, they had 35 magazines in the U.S. And they wanted basically that same team to be built, but at a corporate level. So creating content that was going to run across all 35 of the U.S. magazines. Those are, I mean... It's one of those ghost companies you don't know much about, but that's Time, People, Fortune, Entertainment Weekly, Sports Illustrated, Essence, InStyle, like really wow. big magazines, you know? Right. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I so, had that experience yeah. there, you know, building that same kind of team. And then I decided to go out on my own and, and do more of this, the teaching side of all of this. So when did you go out on your own? And tell us a little bit about what you're doing these days. So I went out on my own. I always have to backtrack and do the math. Um, I think it was, so that was late it was early 2016. Okay. And so what, I just came up on three years. And what are you doing now these days? Yeah. So, so what I loved, I realized is, you know, I spent about a year at each of these companies and I realized that my real value add was not necessarily in the content creation. It was in setting up infrastructure and teaching people internally how to talk the talk and walk the walk when it comes to brand content. So essentially I was setting up these newsrooms. I was re-educating sales teams on how to talk about content and setting up infrastructure for how do we actually create this stuff and, and create a mini newsroom that can push out content, you know, with any sort of frequency and quality. And and I realized that if I do my job well, I'm going to keep being out of a job when about my year mark hits. So that's really what I set up Story Fuel to do is to give me the ability to be teaching those very same things. How do you set up a content team? How do you set up infrastructure to create content internally at a brand, at a publisher? How do you uh, go about coming up with content ideas that are going to be a natural fit in the particular environment or context that you have to present content? And so, you know, a lot of what I do is is speaking. It's corporate workshops. It's speaking at events, which is how, how we came to know each other uh, through social media marketing world. Um, but it's also working directly with brands who are saying, you know, we know we need to be doing content. We're not really sure where to start. Maybe you could help us get that set up. Awesome. Well, what I would love to talk about um, for most of the rest of the interview is the whole process of creating content. But before I go there, I, I want to start with a why question. Um, sure. I think so many of us, and I include myself in this, you know, I own a media company, we produce content. <laughs> so many of us have been completely battered by the social platforms repressing of content, especially Facebook. And um, many people might be questioning what's the value of content if it's harder to get reach and get that content seen by people. So I would love you to ask the question, why today, you know, uh, is content important? Talk to us. It's a good question because we're all feeling that crunch. And I think especially when you are working hard to create good content, it's extremely frustrating when it's not getting seen by the people you're creating it for. So I absolutely feel that. Um, but I think it's important to note that you know, Facebook is not the only game out there. And I think, you know, in a world where obviously Facebook is penalizing us, is, is keeping our content from the people we may want to see it, uh, they're not the only way for us to reach an audience. You know, I know so many marketers who have relied heavily on other social platforms, who have built their own platform through email, uh, who have a robust subscription service of some kind that people are coming to, you know, who are releasing mobile apps. Uh, there's so, so many different ways to distribute your content, to reach your audience. Um, you know, I wouldn't be frustrated necessarily. Uh, and, 
and believe that Facebook changing the algorithm once again, as they will continue to do for all eternity, uh, is the end of good content. Uh, And I think the reality is that storytelling in some way is the way we communicate no matter what platform we're on. So whether you're in a conversation with someone, whether you're on stage, you're, you're having a podcast like this, right? It all comes down to what is the message? You know, what am I saying to whom, why, and in what way? Like those are the core of any sort of communication strategy, uh, no matter what platform you're using. So I think while we might be frustrated by the Facebook stuff, I think keeping in mind that they're not the only game in town and we have other ways to share our stories. For the people that are not in the content game, why should they be in the content game? Do you have any research, any data or anything along those lines? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reality is that, you know, all of us, I think we instinctively know, like, we don't particularly like ads, you know, like advertising is a, is a rough place to work if you really like validation of people liking what you do. You know, advertising for the most part, you know, to reach your audience, you're interrupting people, you're getting in people's way, you're preventing them from seeing the thing they want to see. The reality is that we know that there are studies that show that two thirds of consumers trust brand content more than traditional advertising anyway. So if you're trying to reach any sort of audience with any sort of message you want them to trust and believe, then content is a really good way to do that. We also know that you know, 90% of people who have been polled say that they actually like content as a way for brands to engage them. So they prefer it over ads, which I don't think is too surprising. We probably feel that way ourselves. And I think the other thing is the the one that I like the best is there's a study uh, from 2017 from Time Inc. actually that shows 92% of people believe that brands have expertise on topics and can add value to content. So I'm just going to say that again because I think it's crazy. 92% of people believe that brands have expertise on topics and can add value to content. So this is our audience straight up telling us, I think you know things that I want to know. Tell me those things in the form of content. Um, you know, and, and I don't think we've ever had an audience ask us for ads. So you know, if we need to reach them, we need to engage them, we need to retain them, they're telling us, the data is telling us that doing that through content and through stories is the best way to go. Well, and if I could give a parallel analogy, if we think about any industry, and there's a lot of people in a lot of different industries listening right now, think of your industry and name off the top of your head, the top two or three individuals that you think are the chief influencers in that industry. And then you ask yourself, why are they influencers? I would venture to get it's guess it's because they're creating content. They're creating content in many different ways, right? They could be speaking all over the place and producing content. Yeah. They could be on podcasts. They could be writers. They could be doing video series, but they are creating content. That's the reason everybody thinks of them. Now transfer that to a corporation or a business, right? You want to, you want to add on top of that because it's, 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 it's really that simple, isn't it? It really is. I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? You know, I know I talk to so many people, especially, you know, entrepreneurs, speakers, authors, people who are maybe starting out trying to build a product. They're a maker of some kind. And they say, I want to be a thought leader. I want people to know my name, to know my product, to know my service, right? But people can't read your thoughts through your head. You have to convey those thoughts to other people in some way. And like you said, that's happening through through blog posts. It's happening through social media. It's happening through video series. It's happening through white papers and eBooks and all these other content forms. And so the same is true for a company. If you want to reach new customers, you want them to think of you in a certain way. You want to be top of mind for them. You want them to, to know about your products, to understand your values, to care about your origin story. They can't read your mind. You've got to convey that somehow. And so the question just becomes, how do you figure out where your audience is gathering and what kind of content formats they like so that you can deliver those things that you care about to them so that they can care about them too. Yeah. And I will just, I mean, we're going to get into the how here in a second, but I'm just going to say like, we are social media examiners, a living example of this because we produce uh, original blog content every day. We have a live show, we have a podcast, uh, we have an Alexa flash briefing and we've got things I can't even, oh, YouTube. I mean, we're just constantly producing content and that allows us to have a very large multi-million person audience, you know, tens of millions of people every year are consuming the content that we produce. And as a result, you know, that's why we have like 10,000 customers or so a year because we are producing all of that content and we don't have to go out there and pay someone else, Right. Because when you right. become a media entity, for lack of better words, you have an opportunity to um, advertise your goods somewhere inside the production of that media, which is huge. 
And the alternative is to go out there and pay Big Daddy Google, <laughs> right? <laughs> or Big Daddy Facebook, right? Yeah. I mean, and I, I think at some on some level, you're still going to have to engage with those folks. You know, I, right. I always try to be honest with people. You know, content is not a silver bullet. It's not going to solve all your marketing problems. It's not great for every campaign or every product or everything that you want to do. But it is a really smart strategic part of what should be your marketing mix, right? If you are doing marketing in any form, then content should be a part of that. And pro content probably is a part of it, whether you're aware of it or not. You know, you, you've got to be saying something. Um, so being strategic about it and thinking critically about, again, you know, what am I saying to whom, why, and in what way? If you're asking those questions strategically um, and combining that with some strategic spending when it makes sense with Big Daddy, Google, and Facebook, and all the rest, right. uh, that's probably the, the best way to get the most bang for your buck. So, okay, perfect. Let's transition into the how. Uh, I know you've got a matrix, so talk to us a little bit about this matrix that will allow us to at least come up with ideas for creating content. Yeah. So one of the things, and, and this is what I talked about at, uh, at Social Media Marketing World back just a few months ago. I mean, one of the things that I hear all the time when I'm working with brands, when I'm, when I'm speaking is I, I'm not good at coming up with ideas or I'm not an ideas person or I'm not a journalist. I don't know what to say. Right. Or, or sometimes there's a version of that. That's like, we're saying something and it's not quite working and we don't know what's wrong. So it's some version of what do we create content about? And I think the biggest challenge is that people think content ideas are this big, mysterious thing. It's like this stroke of genius that happens in the shower or like when you have the exact right amount of coffee or something. But, you know, <laughs> it, it really is just two things. It's a focus. What am I talking about? And it's a format. How am I bringing it to life? That's it. That's all a content idea is. Every piece of content you've ever consumed in your life, every film, book, podcast, article is a focus. It's about something and a format. It's brought to life in some way. So the story field, the content matrix uh, that you're talking about is essentially me presenting, here's 10 examples of focuses, things you could talk about, and 10 examples of formats, ways you could bring those stories to life. And if you look at all the possible intersections of those 10 focuses and those 10 formats, you wind up with 100 content ideas. And these are all made up of things we know and love, right? So written content, for example, as a format, we're very familiar with this. We create it every day. Infographics, another that we're very familiar with, right? The idea of having some sort of data brought to life through a chart, through a graph, some sort of graphical representation. Audio. If you are listening to this podcast, you are intimately familiar with audio as a content format, right? Video, of course. So there's four. These are these are things you already know. You're already you already understand how they work and and how to interact with them. And then you look at the focuses, things like history, right? We all understand the concept of history, looking back, telling the story of something that's happened already. DIY or how-to, giving steps in a process, research, conducting some sort of original research, and opinion. So there's just four other ones, right? Opinion, research, DIY, and how-to, or history. So now you combine those two, that's four times four. I mean, you you start to see how just having a grasp, having this matrix, having it plotted out for you can show you that you already have these ingredients in your head to create these content ideas. What you're lacking is a framework for the way to think about it. So the matrix kind of walks you through that and gives you some examples of what those might be and the different ways you could combine them. Uh, first of all, I love this. I would like, I, I want to zoom in a little bit on a couple of these focuses by just giving some examples of what we do here at Social Media Examiner. And then I would love to hear some of the examples from your experience. We yeah. just, we just do two things with our focus. Uh, well, actually, okay. Our main thing is how to, right? So almost every mm -hmm. single article we publish on Social Media Examiner is how to topics for marketers under the, uh, under the focus of social media marketing, right? So how to run right. a, uh, Facebook ad, you know, there's a bazillion variations of that, right? Because there are always these new things, mm -hmm. how to do something with Google analytics, how to do something with Instagram, dot, 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 LinkedIn, all that stuff. I mean, there's an endless stream under the how to category for us. And as long as the platforms keep coming out with new things, <laughs> there's never, ever a dull moment. Okay. And right. then on the research side of this, it, this is a big part of what we do as well. Every single year, 
And as a matter of fact, literally, um, when this goes live, we will have come out with our 11th annual social media marketing industry report, longest running, longest running study in our industry. And we survey 5,000 marketers. We come up with like a 50 page report. We totally give it away for free. It's referenced everywhere. And from that research, we get on our live show and we talk about it. I get on other people's podcasts and talk about it and dot, 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 dot. And other people talk about it. Right. So. Yep. And it's, it's never ending, is it? I mean, so what, what else can we do with research? Talk to us a little bit about that. Cause I mean, like research is not hard. It's a survey monkey, right? No. And everyone can do it in some way. I mean, ask your, ask yourself what data you have as a company or what data you could have if you sent out a survey or, or collected it in some way and, and tell that story. You know, there's, there's endless opportunities for this. Um, and, and again, research is just one of the focuses. So if you take that research report, uh, I'm just going to run down the list of, you know, some of the, the formats that I have here. So you mentioned that it's a report. Um, I have a category called guide or ebook. So I mean that as like a standalone report of some kind. So that right. would be what that starts out as, right? My guess is you also have some written content separately around that, right? You probably write articles with key takeaways and things like that, right? Yeah, we'll take a niche and we'll say what it means for a small business and we'll write a special article about it, for example. There you go. So that's two. So I'm going to guess that you also have some graphics and charts of some kind, infographics, either within that report or separately, top takeaways, charting some of that research. 70 of them. (laughs) There you go. So tons of that. Um, I also have list or roundup. So this might be a place where if, I don't know if you're doing this, but maybe you have five or 10 different experts react. What did they think? Was anything surprising? Mm-hmm. How are they going to put this information to use in their own business? So you could do a list or a roundup, um, you know, based on that same thing. That's four. That's you awesome. already mentioned audio, right? Yep. You're going on podcasts. And I think I'm going to do my own podcast interpreting what the research says and what I think about it. Cause there's opinion meets research, right? There you go. That's opinion. Perfect. So it starts to combine, right? You talk about video. Now, I, I currently bucket all forms of video together, but it's very easy depending on what kind of videos you do to break out separately, you know, recorded video like you'd use on YouTube, live video, Facebook Live, doing a webinar, doing a video course based on this. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of ways to spin video based on that that same set of research. Um, I, I would encourage you to think about a timeline. So you know, timeline, I think, is one of those really underutilized formats. If you were to take, you've said you have, what, 11 years of data? Yep. Wouldn't it be really cool to look back at some of those stats that you've been tracking over 11 years and see how those things have changed over time to plot adoption of certain things, trends and over time by just plotting that on a timeline? Yeah. And as a matter of fact, we do a five-year analysis inside the report, you know, uh, the, you the, the rise and fall <laughs> of uh, one of the major platforms is what we're talking about in the, uh, in the report. Yeah. And, and I'm, I mean, the more you're talking about this, like, you know, you take anything, it doesn't have to be research, right? But obviously the good news about research is you also can get other people to write about it, which is, this is the fascinating thing. We, we collect over 200,000 emails a year off of this one report, just to give you some wow. perspective. It's the main opt-in that we use all over our website. So it's like, it's what we pop up when you try to exit the, the site mm-hmm. and everything. But um, what, what's fascinating is we have found every major publication on the planet has referenced the industry data inside of our report when they write some article on their website and they use yeah. it, they use it to justify whatever they're talking about. So you think about all the inbound traffic that comes off of original research. It's pretty nuts. Well, that's the thing is about research is so high. I mean, it, it often takes more work than a lot of the other stuff, right? You know, spinning together your own backstory or doing an overview of a topic, you know, oftentimes we can spin that stuff together really quickly. Research by comparison is, is a little bit more of an investment, time, money, people, right, et cetera. Right, right, right. But to your point, it's got a lot of link back value, which which translates to SEO value. You know, that's that's not my expertise. I won't wax poetic on that. But you know, getting all that traffic has tons of value for you as an organization, um, and from a search perspective as well. But yeah, I mean, I, when you're the only person saying something, you know, it's going to lead people to quote back to you. It's going to lead people to link back to you, to reference you out loud. I mean, all of that, um, it, it's got value for you as an organization. You know, and you think about for anyone who's listening, you know. What, what value would you have if the leading influencers in your area of expertise, in your industry, were sending traffic to your site because you had original research of some kind? We're sending people to your podcast, to your blog, to your video series, because that's where you released original content of some kind. I think there's so much value in research um, and in so many different ways. As we just saw, if you're creating a large research report, that one report can feed into 
20, 70, 200 pieces of content because you even look at taking the individual statistics in that report and spinning those out as individual posts on social media, as individual social graphics. And now you've got, I mean, who knows how many pieces of content all from that one main piece of content you created. I would love to talk about opinions and I would love to talk about history, but I want to start with opinions because first of all, there's a lot of people listening right now that work for a business and that business sure. does not take a stance or have an opinion. So how do we, how do we deal with this one? <laughs> yeah. You know, opinion is one of those that I think is maybe misunderstood a little bit or, or can be misunderstood. When I say opinion content, I don't necessarily mean that you need to say something is the best or the worst, or, you know, that you should always or never do something. Right. And I know that we've all got legal teams or five legal teams and three agencies that will prevent us from ever saying something like that. Um, and I get that. What I mean is simply putting some sort of value on something. Right. And, and I mean that by when we, when we go to the news, like if there's a, what's an organization that you get some of your news from a publication of some kind, uh, let's just say Apple news. Right. Apple News. So half of your trust in that organization is the curation, right? It's the fact that you're hoping what's being surfaced to you is going to be relevant and you trust on some level that they're they're giving you some sort of recommendation, right? Right. As to what's relevant for you. So you as an organization, you can take some of that like curator mindset of saying, I'm going to surface for you only the most relevant things. These are the, instead of just saying, here's five books for entrepreneurs, here are our recommendation of the five best books for entrepreneurs. Oh, I like now that. that's a soft, it's soft, right? We're just saying we've selected these, we've curated them in some fashion, but it is placing some value on your opinion as to, we didn't just pick five books off Amazon and throw links in here. We, we put some thought into which we chose and why. And so asking how can we put our own curation spin on this um, is a very soft way to do that. And you can go all the way to the other side. You could do product reviews. Um, you know, you could do rankings of things. You often see this with anyone who does awards has on some level, some sort of opinion content, right? You're putting out preferences and rankings of something. Um, there's, there's a lot of ways to, to share your opinion that are not quite taking a stance on some heated debate that's going to give your, your legal team heartburn. I'd love to talk about history. Let's just presume that not everybody is a company that's been around since like the 1800s or something crazy like that, like Coca-Cola, yeah. but maybe they've been around for 10 years or five years or 20 years. How do we weave sure. history? And is it about our company or is it about history in general? Talk to us a little bit. Yes. And it is both, right? So I think when we think about history, all I'm saying is looking back into the past. Now that could be your past as a founder. It could be your past as a content creator. You know, in a way you asking me my story when I, when we first started our conversation was an element of, of history. I was telling you, you know, where I came from, how I came to have the perspective I do. Mm. So if your company has some sort of background, an interesting journey, you know, the founder story or, or how the company came to be, uh, that's always interesting. You can generally only tell that in so many ways and have it still be fascinating. So it is important to look to others, the history of others. So if you're a small business, why don't you talk about your building? You know, what are the, what are the other companies that have been in your storefront? What's the, what's the history of where you are now? What's the history of your town? What's the history of your, uh, your industry in your particular town? You know, going back, I know I, I grew up in a town uh, called Waterbury, Connecticut, um, and it's known as the Brass City. Um, and I got to be honest with you, despite the fact that all the signs say Brass City, there's not a tremendous amount of content about, you know, why is it the Brass City and what are the particular companies that made it the Brass City and why does that name still hold today? So you can look to your local community to find other elements of history that still signal your values, that still signal what's important to you as a company uh, or as an individual, if that's, if that's how you roll, um, by telling others' story. And, and the other history you can tell is just the history in general of your industry, of your services. So, you know, for you, when you're doing this research, the research is not your research, right? I mean, you're doing the research, but it's not the history of you, right? It's the history of your industry when you're looking back at those trends. It's the history of other platforms. It's the history of how companies have used those platforms over time. So you're still having an element of history to what you're saying there, but it's not simply reliant on your history as social media examiner. Does that make sense? Totally. And in my opening keynote at Social Media Marketing World this year, I weaved in quite a bit of history. I talked about how um, it was on Facebook and then how it was an open platform and how it became a closed platform and kind of walked people through how over a five-year period of time, everything changed. Now, um, I found that I had a very captive audience when I did that because I think people, especially if they know some of that history or they're part of some of that history or that history is in any way related to their 
you know, career. I think yeah. it just it's it's a good story to tell. And it's really powerful and it got people really focused because they sometimes people forget. They're so focused on today and tomorrow, they never look back. And I, I find that there's a lot of people like myself have a great fascination with history. I mean, there's whole channels on cable networks right. dedicated to it, right? So I think that's really powerful. And especially if we can weave a little opinion into it, right? So if we if we can talk about like maybe why some of this history exists and where this is going, that's where we can combine history and opinion, I would imagine, right? Oh yeah. All and that's the thing is, you know, all these examples, these suggestions that are that you'll find in the matrix, there's 10 focuses and 10 formats, like I said. It's certainly not an exhaustive list. And they they don't exist in silos. You know, we just talked about the way that your research is in some way both research uh, research and history. Um, you know, in a way I assume it's also probably qualifies as overview because I assume you're defining a lot of terms and providing a lot of basic context to help people understand that as well. So there's definitely ways where you can combine some of these focuses and combine some of these formats. You know, as you said, your report has built into it many graphics that are part of that, and it's certainly the words are written content. So there's ways to combine these things. I think the key is to really think about not necessarily what's the one focus and the one format that is perfect for me, but to explore the ways in which you can tell stories through these different focuses and these different formats and, and give yourself that framework to think through. Because I think, you know, we, we all have what I would call a first content language, right? There's, there's some format and some focus that is just natural for you. Uh, I would guess that, you know, that audio is probably your first content format, right? Your first content language is just comes most naturally to you. Well, I started as a writer, surprisingly, yeah. but yeah, audio has turned out to be my favorite. Um, but, but the difference is I had to be talking to someone else. So this is, this is, uh, like if you just put me behind a microphone and ask me to talk for 45 minutes, it's not going to be good. <laughs> but if you give me someone really smart to talk to like you, Melanie, um, it's going to be amazing because that's what I love doing. I am definitely someone who is an extrovert and I love communicating and ideating and talking. And I feel like it produces really high, high value content. That's awesome. So I would guess that your default, then it sounds like, especially in audio, your default would be to go to an interview format is what it, what it sounds like you said. Yeah. So it might be interesting for you as an exercise, if you know that you love audio to look at audio as a format and look at some of those other focuses. And if interview isn't the way, could I do a how-to through audio? Could I do history through audio? Could I do, um, you know, could I present this research through audio, like you said? Hmm. So one of the great things about the matrix is that it can take you from that first content language and push you to think in different ways. You know, there's a couple of formats, you know, toward the end of the matrix that are not ones you run into often. Things like a map or a timeline, like I mentioned before, or something interactive, like a tool or a quiz. And I find that people so many times say, I've just never thought about plotting any of our content on a map. And it, it makes so much sense. If you think about it, I just never thought about it before. And so sometimes it's just having these things listed out that it prompts your brain to think in a different way. You're giving yourself a structure and a way to think about all the possibilities for content. It just, it gets you out of a rut. It gets you out of, uh, you know, feeling stuck and helps you think in just a different way to communicate with your audience. I heard you say at least two or three times, what am I saying to whom, why, and in what way? Talk to us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, this is sort of just, these are some of the key things you just need to focus on from, from a messaging standpoint. Um, you know, that those are the questions that I encourage people to ask themselves. You know, what am I saying? That's really the focus. That's the focus we're saying here, right? The focuses we listed before. Am I, am I saying something about history? Am I saying something about how to do something? Am I saying something about my opinions, right? What am I saying? To whom is asking yourself, who is the audience? Who are you speaking to? Because, you know, your audience is going to determine in so many ways, you know, the way you you tell your story. So you just, to give an example, some people say, well, I talk the same to everyone. And I ask them, do you tell your friends about your weekend in the same way you tell your boss and your grandmother? Probably not. The information is still the same and you'll be honest about it, but you're going to present that information in a different way. You're going to use a different tone of voice and, and a different level of detail based on who your audience is. So asking yourself that same question with your content, to whom am I saying this, right? Who is this story for can help inform the way you do it. Um, asking, so what am I saying to whom and why? 
the why is really the goal. I find that so many people, we feel like we need to feed the content machine. And the reason I'm doing a blog post is because I do blog posts on Wednesdays. And that's not necessarily a good reason from a business standpoint. That's not necessarily driving your business forward, uh, helping you achieve any sort of strategic goals. So I think it's always important to just gut check yourself and say, why, why are we creating this content? What is the goal of what we're saying? And then that last question, so it's what am I saying to whom, why, and in what way, that's the format part, right? The format part of this matrix is how are we going to bring that story to life? And the important thing to note is that in what way the format is last, because that is the last thing that you should decide. So many times I think we sit, we get into a room and we say, I need five video ideas or I need something for the blog. And when we force a format before we really have a focus, before we know who we're talking to, before we know why we're saying anything to begin with, what we most often end up with is content that is not going to do what we want because we're shoehorning some sort of story that could shine so bright in another format into some other format that just isn't the right fit. And we've all had that experience. If you've ever watched a video and said, why am I watching this? Or this should have been an interview uh, blog post or uh, this person's not, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't be a talking head video for 45 minutes. You've, you've experienced that. The, this was so great in another format. So we always ask that question last. So it's what am I saying to whom, why, and in what way? The last question we ask ourselves is how do we bring that content to life in a way that serves our focus, our audience, and our goal? I want to focus in on the why and to whom. I yeah. think, first of all, most people don't understand the why. And I'm speaking as someone who heads up a media company. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think, I think honestly, it's so easy for us to fall into, well, that's just what we've always done, or this is how sure. we do it. And I think the why question needs to be constantly asked. I would imagine you agree because oh, yeah. if you're doing something and you don't know why you're doing it, you should seriously question why you're, you know, if you should continue to do it, right? Because <laughs> you're wasting yeah. resources, right? That could be if used somewhere else. you don't know why you're else. doing it, then why are you? doing it. Yeah. And I know it sounds nuts, but we don't ever yeah. really think about the why. Once we start something, we just uh, stay focused and folks seriously start asking why questions. But the to whom I think is the most important part. Once you get past the why, um, I would, how, I'm shocked at how many people do not understand who their audience is. Like, do you have any tips on how we can get to know our audience a little bit better? That's a really good question. And there, there are some folks who are huge experts in this and creating customer profiles and avatars and segmenting audiences on social. I have always found, and, and maybe this is because of, of my background as a journalist, is that the best way to get to know your audience is to just talk to them. And I know that sounds silly, but you know, when you're a young journalist and you get a new beat, a beat is the thing that you're supposed to cover. So maybe that's town hall or the school board or local sports, whatever. The first thing you do is go talk to those folks, right? You go to the games, you go to the meetings, you make small talk, you ask them what their questions are, their concerns. Why are you here? You know, what, what's changed? You know, you, you kind of, they call it shoe leather. Like you just, you, you tie up your shoes and you go out and you talk to the people. So that may be more challenging for you if you don't have a local business where your audience is coming face to face with you. But there are ways to have those conversations, you know, have office hours in your Facebook group, just hop on live and talk to people, do it on, on Instagram, you know, open up Instagram. Instagram live and ask people what they're doing, you know, look at who's following you, who's engaging with you, go to their profiles, read their bios, try to understand, you know, what, what are they like? What's important to them? You know, you, of course, look at your data. You know, if you have a digital audience in some way, you know, you've probably got dashboards, analytics, some, some form of data that can give you, you know, at least some demographic information, their gender, their age, their whereabouts. Um, so start there, but, but talk to them. You know, the best way to get to know somebody is to talk to them. I'll, 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 you know, being an analyst, I'll trigger on a little bit of this data thing you were talking about. Um, I think a very simple survey to your customer base yeah, and to your reader base, if you have any kind of, you know, email subscription base of people that are, you know, reading your whatever, and they're not necessarily customers and then asking them a lot of questions. Like for example, um, uh, what is their job responsibility? Another question might be like, how big of a company do you work for? Um, is your primary audience uh, other businesses or consumers? Mm -hmm. um, what is your age? What is your gender? Um, what part of the world are you in? These questions and which of our um, products and or content do you consume? Check the following boxes. Then what you do after you've gotten, let's say, a couple hundred of those, you can start segmenting and say, okay, how do our customers 
differ from those that are not our customers, right? And then that'll tell you, hey, uh, our content is targeting the wrong audience. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and sometimes it's alarming when you find that out, but what a gift to know, to get that information, to be able to adapt. Yeah. Um, I would like to throw in at least one more question that I think you should ask if you're going to do it. I, I think two. Yeah. Um, I would always ask the audience, how did you first hear about us? There you go. And I know that that's, it sounds like a very tactical business question. You know, that's something you ask, you know, uh, when you're making a purchase, but I don't mean just if you're selling products, like, you know, to know as an individual, as a thought leader, as a speaker, as an author, how did someone hear about you? You start to understand where you should be focusing your attention. Um, I've used that question to discover which of my social channels are driving, you know, more of my word of mouth business than than other places. You know, every time someone reaches out to me about speaking at a conference, my first question is always, "How did you hear about me?" Um, because well, you know, I'll throw in another cool one <laughs> since we're in this. What yeah. would you like to learn more about? And give them a checklist. Yes. Give them a checklist, and- right? Yep, definitely. And and leave leave room for them to say something else. Because Other, again, yeah, exactly. We don't we don't know what we don't know. Um, the other one I was going to throw out is to ask them um, who else they trust in the industry. And, and you can phrase that question differently depending on what your particular services are. So for me, um, you know, if I were surveying my audience about speakers, um, I might say, well, what other speakers have you worked with before? Or if I was surveying my content audience, I might say, well, who else do you trust to give you information about content marketing? That gives you a really good sense of who you should be targeting around, of who you should be collaborating with, of who your competitive set may be. You know, there's there's a lot of information you can find in the who else do you trust question. And this is this is so important, right? Because I think that so many people think that they think that their audience is just like them, right? Like I've got oh, yeah. I've got five full-time marketers and some of them are in their 50s and some of them are in their 20s. And I can guarantee you that the ones that are in their 20s assume everybody else is just like them. And the ones that are in their 50s assume everybody else is like them and they're nothing alike. So it's just one of those kind of things like when you know who your who is, then you just have to always ask yourself before you create any content, is this going to appeal to to my who, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the other thing that's important to note too is, you know, your audience is not going to be, you know, this one pillar, this one type of person, right? You get averages, you get majorities, um, but you should create content. If there are different segments, if you know that some of your audience is in their 20s and they have very different concerns and life paths and spending habits and whatever else, uh, and some of your audience is in their 50s and they have different spending habits and and patterns and and concerns, there's no reason you can't take any piece of content you create and create two versions uh, with different headlines, with different content, you know, or- or just create different content entirely, knowing that some people are going to like this and some people are going to like that and thinking strategically about, well, my, my Twitter audience tends to be younger. So I'll put out the content for the millennials over there and my Facebook audience tends to be older. So I'll put out the content for those folks over there. All right. Um, there's a question going through everyone's mind right now, which is, I don't have time to create this content. Who do I get (laughs) to create this content? Talk to me. Yeah, you know, that's, I think that's one of the things that can be really scary. Um, Journalists, we're, we're often trained to be sort of impervious to deadlines. So we create content at a really rapid clip, and we're not intimidated by it by short deadlines. Um, But that's not true for everyone. So the first thing I would say is we talked a little bit before about your first content language. Try to figure out, ask yourself what kind of content comes most naturally to you and see if there's a way you could lean into that. If you are terrified to be on video and you've never edited video a day in your life, then I can promise you if you decide today to start an aggressive video strategy, you are going to be unhappy, right? It's going to be hard for you to get that going and get any sort of results. So start small. Start with the thing that you're comfortable with, that you're good at, that you that you feel confident you could do. Um, start there and then see if there's other people that you can get to help you out. So one of the things that you can do really well is repurpose content in the way that we talked earlier. So you talked about your, your research that you guys have done and how that's being repurposed into different formats. It's very easy, for example, for us to take this podcast interview that we're doing right here. We're creating audio in your content, your first content language, right? And, and have someone else transcribe that or a robot, right? Use Rev or something. Someone can transcribe that and turn that into a blog post. That's exactly someone, what we do. 
Yeah, that's exactly there you what go. I do. Right? So, so you're not necessarily having to also write a blog post. You're using what you have and scaling your time by finding people or tools who can help you repurpose that content into other formats. I imagine you may have an intern or someone who's part of the team who can find some really great quotes from this fabulous conversation, turn them into quick graphics with your headshot and my headshot and use those on social. So now you've got social content as well, mm. right? Um, if we had chosen to have this conversation via video, right, we could be having the, the video that goes up, video version of this as well. I don't know how compelling it would be to watch us on our head headsets. It would require a heck of a lot of editing because people don't like <laughs> watching talking heads, right? <laughs> well, there you go. Right. But, you know, there are ways to, to start slow. Uh, we would probably make your... a – we would take a clip out of it probably is what we would do because yeah. we've done this for our show called The Journey where we'll take a 60-second clip out of it and then we'll say go over to YouTube and watch the rest of it. There you go. There you go. So um, do you know if like people want to go out and find people that make content and they're good at slicing and dicing content? Like what do they search for? I mean, like, because I'm sure a lot of people listening right now don't have the resources, but they would be willing to hire a contractor to do something like this. What do they search for? How do they even yeah. find people? Is there a database out there of people that do this kind of work? Oh, yeah. There's plenty of places you can look. So um, if you're looking for writers in particular, I recommend a site called Contently. So it's content, L-Y, right? Contently. Um, they they have a whole bunch of writers. You can do it, you know, one-off or projects. You can create a whole system, a whole group of writers and editors that you work with. And it manages the whole back and forth. So if it's not your strong suit to be managing writers, you know, they've got a system that will help you do that. Um, if you're looking for other types of talent, I mean, the first thing I would do is ask others, right? If you have someone in your network, you know, a, a fellow business owner or a fellow speaker, whoever it might be, um, ask them if they've got recommendations. Most of the great folks that I've worked with on content production comes from saying, hey, you're looking is really good who made it and can they make mine right mm -hmm. so try to try to go that route you know so you know you you like and trust their work um but otherwise there's sites like fiverr um and other sites as well where you can just put up almost a job listing but it's more of a project listing saying you know i need someone to write one blog post a week on this particular topic or i need someone to take all this video footage and turn it into you know shorter clips or you know whatever that need may be on a project basis the one thing I would say is to just think about, um, worry less about the title of what, what you might be searching for and more about the skills. So, you know, if you're thinking, gosh, I need someone to make vlogs for me, you probably don't want to search for vlog producer. I don't know that you'd, you'd come up with, uh, you know, someone who uses that title. But if you said, I need someone to edit my videos, video editor, you might find someone who's using that because it's more of a skill than a particular title. So just think about the skills that you need to supplement what it is that you want to do. And hopefully you could find someone through those sites like Fiverr's and Fiverr and others, um, find someone who has those skills and can lend them to you. Folks, I'm here to tell you that Pendulum is shifting back to content, okay? Um, social media was where it was all at. It was all micro content, but it's all going back to the way it was. It's all going back to people consuming audio, video, and written content. It is the future as it was in the past before social media came about. <laughs> and um, you all need to focus on this because it's got massive return on investment. Melanie, I just... I could geek out with you for another hour. I mean, like, I know, let's do it. No, <laughs> maybe another time. But um, you're a rock star, first of all, serious rock star. Thanks. I know that we have activated some serious synapses in people that are listening today. <laughs> um, tell everyone where they can discover more about you and anything else if you want to mention it about you yeah, and what you so, got going on. Uh, I am the only one of me. So if you look for Melanie Diesel, D E Z. I-E-L, you know, wherever social network suits your fancy, you will find me. Um, if you'd like to learn more about the content matrix that we were talking about today, I've got a link for you all. It is storyfuel.co slash SME. So that's storyfuel.co slash SME. Melanie Diesel, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. Thanks for letting me share my story. Hey, I hope you found a lot of value in today's podcast interview. I want to ask you a quick favor. I would love it if you would consider giving me a review in the Apple Podcast directory. You can do this a couple of ways. You can visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash Apple. Um, I think you can even scroll up from your mobile device if you're listening to this and there might be just an option that says review. I don't ask for this very often, but it just really helps me to hear from you guys. Let me know what you love about the show. Let me know what you don't like about the show. Um, and also let your friends know if you like the podcast. Uh, and for sure, tag me on Instagram, Stelzner, S-T-E-L-Z-N-E-R. 
And by the way, there was a lot of cool tools mentioned at the end of today's show and a lot of ideas. We take all the notes for you. All you got to do is go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash 356. Can you believe it? 356 episodes. And I know some of you have been listening since episode number one. If you have, will you let me know on Instagram? Would love to hear from you guys. All right. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your fast-talking host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter, We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.